Last week's message was an encouragement for us to consider the thought of a child will lead them. Because we as Christians have a childlike faith, a trust in Jesus, and we have the truth, and we have the opportunity to go with confidence and share that truth with others. We can judge, it came from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where it talks about, don't you, you know, you can judge matters in this life, you're going to judge the angels, you can, you can make judgments, we have wisdom. And so, the encouragement was for us to use that wisdom, to trust the word that God has given us, to trust the knowledge that we have been blessed with, and to know that when we go from here to there to anywhere, we have something special. We have the truth. That's pretty good knowledge. But we also realize that as we turn to chapter 8, that there's a warning about knowledge. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 1. It says, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Knowledge makes arrogant. Some of your translations probably use the phrase that, that I've chosen to go with. And if you look at the outline, here's the warning. Knowledge puffs up. And that's not a phrase that we use. You know, he's looking pretty puffed up today. Or, or you, We don't use that phrase, but it makes sense because uh, we use the phrase, somebody's got a big head, right? That's the same thing. Somebody's got a puffed up head. Knowledge can puff up. And it's interesting to think about this idea that as he's dealing with people in chapter 6, he was telling them to trust their knowledge, but he's also acknowledging, acknowledging the fact that some of them know they've got some knowledge and it has gone to their head and they are puffed up. Arrogance was a problem in the church at Corinth. And I, I kind of wonder as we go back through and consider this book that maybe arrogance, this idea that some people had some knowledge, they were starting to figure some things out that they thought then once they figured some things out that that made them pretty special, pretty important. And we all, I can identify with that. I know what it's like to learn something and think I know something that somebody else doesn't. And it's like, I've got some power here goes to my head, and I think I'm somebody special. This is, this is a lesson to all of us because we can all fall into this trap. Knowledge puffs up. Consider the Corinthians, and as Paul writes to them, Paul, who was a very humble servant of God, and he, he, he talks about, he humbles himself before them as he talks about some of the things that he has done, um, and as he wants them to imitate him, he is an example of humility, but he's also an example of the one who truly had knowledge. He was an apostle. He was taught by Jesus Christ himself, according to Galatians. But go back to chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. And listen to the idea of arrogance that is in here. It says, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sake, so that 
In us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that none of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So this now, Paul's the teacher. Paul's the one who taught them. And now they think they're better than the teacher? That's, uh, that's what they were claiming. They were claiming that they knew more than Paul. They were divided against themselves and in different groups. They were claiming one group had more knowledge than another group. We know the right way and, and you don't. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Some say I'm of Cephas. Has Christ been divided? And you see the, the connection with even denominationalism today. Denominations exist because somebody comes along and says, I've got the right way of viewing this, this particular topic, and this is what I believe. And a group of people come to that and say, oh, yeah, we follow this person. We, follow, we believe what they believe, so we follow them. And you see how denominations develop. And it's all a matter of people becoming arrogant and saying, we've got the right way, and those people don't. It's very easy to fall into. It's very easy for us to say, we've got the truth. Everybody else is wrong, and you're all lost. You need to come join us. Arrogance. Uh, Still in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verses 18 through 21. And really this entire chapter applies. We're not reading it all though. Just look at the verses 18 through 21. It says, Now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out, not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? And we considered this passage and we looked at this and, and said, well, one thing Paul had was love. And we wanted, I'm sure they wanted him to come with a spirit of love and a spirit of gentleness. But that was the superpower that Paul had was love. And he, as an apostle... He wants to come to them in love. He doesn't want to come and assert his authority. He wants people to just trust and believe the message that had been delivered to him. Because he had been given the mind of Christ. The spirit of Christ had been revealed to him. And he's sharing it with others. But now suddenly they think they're better. They think they know something. They put themselves even above the Apostle Paul. Paul's telling them, warning them, you better wisen up, you better humble yourselves, because when I get there, you will be humbled. So don't be arrogant. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, continuing right in the very next section, it changes gears, but ultimately, it's still, he's still addressing their arrogance. Listen to verses 1 and 2. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, and immorality... Of such a kind as does not even exist among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned, in, mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. So they were arrogant. They were, it seems that they were boasting about some sexual 
sexually immoral situation that was in the midst of their congregation. Strange thing to boast about, but they had some knowledge that made them figure out that they could do that. Knowledge puffs up. These people had some heads that were puffed up. There were some leaders that arose amongst their midst that they were puffed up. Puffed up's not a very good thing. I tend to not like people who come across as being arrogant or puffed up. I think we can all kind of say that too. We don't like arrogant folk. So let's not be puffed up. So arrogance was a real problem in the church at Corinth. They needed to watch out for it. They needed to correct that error. Next point says some in Corinth knew they could eat. So we get on to the issue that they're puffed up about here. Some in Corinth knew that they could eat meat sacrificed to idols without sinning. But this was an issue for others. So let's look at this and just consider this for a second. Um, and then we'll think about if we have some examples that might be corollary things for us to consider as we try and uh, get some, just get some thoughts about how this might apply to us today. But first, let's read verses 4 through 8. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. However, not all men have this knowledge. But some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food will not condemn us, commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. Food that has been sacrificed to idols. Now, the most likely case for what's, how this applies is that food was being sacrificed and burned as offerings at temples, and then that, the excess food that wasn't used to feed whoever was making the sacrifice, it would be sold at the marketplace, where anyone could go and buy that meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. Come buy the meat. Um, okay, I'll buy that meat, but, oh, it's been sacrificed to an idol? No, I don't want anything to do with it. If a food's been sacrificed to an idol, do you think a Christian should associate themselves with that food? Paul here comes through very quickly and just very, in a very compelling way just says, it doesn't matter if that food's been sacrificed to an idol. There, there is no such thing as, as the idol. And even if there are such things, we know who God is. It doesn't matter if we just want to eat the food. If you're buying the food, get the food. It doesn't, he's like, it doesn't matter. But you know what? Paul would also acknowledge, and these people would know that there are some people in that culture and in that time who 
perhaps being Jews, would have been their whole life they would have been taught, if you eat that food that's been sacrificed to an idol, you are engaging in that idolatry, and you need to not touch it. And they grew up with that. And for them, for them to eat that food would be a very, oh, I can't, can't do this. Even, you know, and maybe you could even make a compelling case to them and say, you know what, it's, God says it's nothing anymore. Don't worry about it. And maybe here's where the problem came is because somebody was coming along and saying, you know, that, this food sacrificed to an idol, it's, it's nothing. Even Paul would agree with me on this one. So go ahead and eat it. You should eat it. You need to eat it. And you got a strong Christian that's perhaps telling a weak, maybe a younger Christian or a weak Christian that, you know, putting pressure on him to do something that in his mind and in his conscience he can't do and honor God. That'd be a bad thing. But you got one who's arrogant and puffed up telling somebody else what they should do. Or perhaps on the other side of the coin, instead of having a a, a Jew, maybe there is a Gentile among who used to meet, eat that meat sacrificed to idol. And when they would eat that meat, it was like they were worshiping and participating in that particular God. They were actually involved. To eat that meat would, to, would be to involve them in pagan worship. And that's what they used to do. And now somebody's coming along and telling me, no, you can eat that meat. It doesn't matter. Okay, I can eat this meat. Um, I'll, I guess I'll eat it. But when I eat, start eating that meat, I'm in, involving myself in my mind. I'm still worshiping that idol just like I used to do. Doesn't sound like a good situation. So that's the, that's the condition of maybe what's going on. Those are just some possibilities. But some knew that eating that meat was nothing. But others, being weak... To them, it was a sin. They could not do it in good conscience. So the, the knowledge was not the issue. So in my next point on the outline, it says the knowledge was not the issue, but what they did with that knowledge caused the weak to stumble and be ruined. Listen to the language that comes up next, starting in verses not, verse number 9. We'll read through 11. Verse, verse number 9, but take care with this liberty of yours that it does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother who, who's for whose sake Christ died. Christ died for this weak brother, and you cause him to stumble, you cause him to be ruined. That's a terrible thing. It seems like they're aware of what they are doing, but they've got the right knowledge. So, so if I've got the right knowledge and I'm doing right, who cares what happens to anybody else? And Paul says you're causing somebody else that Jesus loved, that Jesus to, died for, to be ruined. Verse number 12, it says, And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. So when they cause some, another brother, another sister in Christ to be ruined, to fall away, they are sinning against Jesus. 
They had the right knowledge. Eating meat sacrificed to an idol is nothing. But when they started going through whatever they were doing, they caused somebody else to stumble and fail. Knowledge puffs up. So when they gained this knowledge, it seems like they just didn't care about it. Oh, I'm right. I've got the big head. I'm the one with the right knowledge. And everybody needs to come along with me and join me with what I'm doing according to the knowledge I have. And that knowledge resulted in sin. But the contrary to this, because we, we have the cautionary tale, is that knowledge puffs up. But love, love builds up. Love edifies. So we go back up to verse number one again. And that last sentence there, the last phrase in verse one says, Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but that love, it will build up others. Love will edify the church. Love will build up the church. Love will help others. The most important thing for a Christian is not to know anything but this. This is what we are to know. The first and foremost thing that we need to know. The first knowledge, the first bit of knowledge that is always to be the most important thing is this. Number one, to love God. And number two, to be known by God. Listen to verse number two. Verse two and three. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. So you think you're smart, you think you know something, you think you're wise spiritually or scripturally. If you think you're somebody, you better wait. Wait a second. Because verse 3 then says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by him. If you love God, that's the key. First, the greatest commandment is that you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when you love God, then you're going to be known by Him. This is the most important thing. That's the most important thing. It's not about what you know, other than that you just love God with all your mind, with all your being. You love Him. That's all that matters. That's what matters most. And that when you love Him, then you know that you're known by Him. It's not about what you know about God. It's that you know that He knows you. That's what matters. That's the most important thing. In the church, that's what we got to focus on first and foremost, is that we love God and we make sure He knows us. He gave a son to die for us. He loves us. So we love Him. I, I like this thought and this idea because... Uh, you know, one of the things about, um, well, I don't have a degree in Bible. You know, you can't, you can't look at my credentials when it comes to anything about why I should be preaching or teaching other than this. I hope that you know that I love God. And I hope that you can see that I am known by God. That's what qualifies me 
to be able to, to speak, that those two things are first and foremost that they are true. Can you imagine having a preacher or a teacher who might have a bunch of degrees behind his name and might have the good book memorized, but you watch them in their life and it's like they don't even love God. They, it seems like they love what they know, but I don't think they love God. Preachers can get pretty puffed up, can't we? The more we learn, you know, the more our, the bigger our head gets and the more that we think we've got the right answer and the power over everybody else and you need to do what we say because we're in charge and no, that's that's a danger. That's a cautionary. This is a this is a lesson for preachers. Be careful. Cuz knowledge puffs up. You better make sure, first of all, that you love God and that He knows you. Young people go to colleges and universities and fill their heads with all kinds of information, all kinds of sparks, so they can go out and rule the world, right? And it's all for naught if you don't love Jesus. If you don't love God and if you're not known by Him, then all else fails. Nothing else matters. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I do put a note at the end of that, um, that thought, and I say knowledge is good. I don't want to sound like I'm saying that, that learning things or having the knowledge of Scripture even the knowledge, even for these folks who knew that eating meat sacrificed to an idol, even though they knew it was nothing, it didn't matter. I'm not saying that information is worthless. I think it's good. You've got to know and understand. We have the wisdom of Christ right here before us. We need to understand it. But if we use that wisdom to get a puffed up head and cause somebody else to stumble or fail, we're the ones who are sinning, we're the ones who will be lost. So knowledge is good per last week's lesson, but love is more important by far. Start with love. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love God. When you love God, that love for God teaches us to put others first. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13. Here is his final uh, thought on this topic. He says, therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I want to build up my brother. I'm going to put others first. I've got to put others first because Jesus put me first. Jesus has taught us what love is. Our Father has taught us what love is. And He calls us to love others just as He has loved us. Love builds up. It's the antidote to being puffed up. Go to chapter 13 now. The central chapter that we've been to before uh, when we discussed that love is our superpower, and we'll state that again here in a second. Uh, and it's... It's clear that there is this same idea built into chapter 13 of Corinthians that is in 
chapter 8. Let's look at verse number 2. It says, If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge. You hear that? If I know everything, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. We need to stay humble. We need to be filled with love. God's kind of love. A love that puts others first. Verse number four, love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not puffed up. It's not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love builds up. Love puts others first. Love is our superpower. Verse 13 says... But now faith, hope, faith, hope, love abideth these three. But the greatest of these is love. We're reminded again when we're dealing with arrogance that love is the antidote, that love is our superpower. Love is what we need to gravitate to. Love is what we have been taught through the sacrifice of Jesus. And Jesus even said as much, go to John chapter 13. Verses 34 and 35, here are some of the most important words in all the New Testament. If you want to understand how the New Testament, the new covenant that we have in Christ is different from the old covenant, it is found here in this verse. Verse 34 says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Okay, that's not new, Jesus. That's in the Old Testament. That was in the Old Covenant. If you got a footnote there, you can find it in, in Exodus or Deuteronomy or Leviticus. Love one another. That was an instruction in the Old Testament. So what's the new part? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The Corinthians that had some knowledge, those, those people of faith in that church in Corinth who understood something about meat sacrifice to idols, uh, you can eat it, don't eat it, whatever. When they were causing others to stumble, did they have love? They had a puffed up head and they were causing others to fall away to be ruined. They did not have love. I think the equivalent of us for us today as we consider this, as we, um, you know, it, it comes to mind, maybe you think about difficult issues where there's some gray spots, you know, whether it's something like, well, instrumental music or the women's role or, you know, these, these issues that we have some differences of opinion. I don't think that fits with this topic. It's usually when it comes up. Um, but usually those discussions are among mature Christians who are fighting over some issues, and I think they need to learn to, to make sure that their head's not puffed up, and as we discuss those issues, we need to not be puffed up. That part applies, but usually there's not this danger of causing others to, to fall away, unless strong Christians who are fighting against each other and arguing against each other over some issue that is seemingly not important to some young believer, 
That's what would cause the young Christian to fall away. We're fighting over things that ought not be fought over. And the young people say, this is, man, people can fight outside of the church. I guess I'm going to go my way. You know, that would cause weak believers to fall away. The, the closest I can come to come up with uh, maybe some examples that fit with the uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 situation is maybe you got a young believer, somebody who is weak in Christ, and they, they, um, they came from a past that involved drinking, that involved alcohol abuse, and you come along and say, you know what, I've got some knowledge about alcohol, and you, you say, Scripture really doesn't condemn alcohol. You can have some alcohol. You should, here, have some. You know, that young believer would be like, you know what, I, I can't do that. That's my past. That takes me down a bad road. I can't do that. No, Scripture doesn't condemn alcohol. You should take it. You should drink this. You should do that. And you could just be opening them up to uh, a whole world of hurt. And cause them to be lost. Sounds foolish, doesn't it? I think that's what they were doing here. Maybe it's, maybe it's somebody who... Uh, uh, it, I, I thought of this one because of the whole idea that an idol is nothing. Well, some people... The Ouija board. Maybe they believed in the Ouija board and used the Ouija board in the past and would connect with spirits. And i I got to tell you, just offhand, I think it's possible. Connect with evil spirits through that thing. Opening up your mind to demons. I think that's possible. But maybe a Christian comes along and says, you know what, they're really, you're not opening yourself up to demons. That's not, Scripture teaches something different, and you can do this Ouija board. It's just a fun little game. Let's play. And the young Christian is like, I used to do this in the past. I want nothing to do with it. No, let's play. You know, pushing somebody down a wrong path. That's not what we do. Love builds up. We are always putting others first. Love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Let us be using our superpower. Let us love like Jesus. Let us always put others first because Jesus put us first. So love. Love. Issues come up. Make sure you love. When you consider younger believers who are, who are new in Christ, love them, teach them, build them up in the faith according to a knowledge of the truth. Draw them closer to Jesus. Let us make that our goal and let us do it always. Keep gaining knowledge, but don't let that knowledge puff you up. If there's anybody here who wants to be a part of the body of Christ and you want to gain the knowledge of, of Jesus and live according to His Spirit, today's the day that you can do that. And then you can help somebody younger in the faith come along and do that someday too. Live for Him. Love Christ and love others. If you need to respond to the message today, you're welcome to come as we stand together and sing this song of encouragement.